If you have your Bible, turn please to Isaiah 54 and 55. Isaiah 54 and 55. Appreciate you so much uh, for all that God is doing in the lives of the people here. Just to want to mention again, on May 22nd, we're going to have a baptismal service for those that need to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. We have some from the Korean church. We have some from the Mian church. We have some from the English-speaking church. But how about you? Have you ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? And after you've accepted Him as your Savior, you've stood up so that other people know what happened in your life? That's what baptism's all about. And if you've never done that, you can mark your response card and you can uh, let me know. You can call the church office. We want to schedule you as part of the baptismal service. Small faith, great God. That's been the topic now for 16 weeks, and we're going to continue till the end of Isaiah. I've, uh, the more I read Isaiah, the more I study Isaiah, the more time I want to spend in Isaiah. And especially following Isaiah 53, uh, what happens next is explosive at best. Uh, or no, at least. Uh, it, it's, it's tremendous. You, you have to see what happens. Mark Buchanan tells a true story. Mark Buchanan is a pastor up in Canada. He's a, pa- a pastor in a Baptist church. I love Mark because he has this uh, kind of dry sense of humor. His next-door neighbor is also someone who goes to the church where he pastors, and the next-door neighbor was going to be gone for a week camping. And on a Friday as they were leaving, they asked Mark and his wife and family to keep their dog, Max. Now, Max, you need to understand, had Poodle in part of the, uh, as a part of the breed. Poodle equals wild. Uh, Mark said that this dog, whose name was Max, this, this dog, Max, had this wild streak in his eyes. Sometimes he would be peaceful and calm, but other times he was just, he, you could look in the eyes and you think, this dog's crazy. And, and when his wife said yes, Mark thought, oh, man, this is terrible. Then he found out the dog stays out all day long, comes in, and the one thing that they had trained this dog to do is to go to a large pillow that they put on the floor. The dog would come in, sleep on the pillow. The next morning would go out. And so Mark said for the first two days, for the Friday and Saturday, it worked pretty well. Sunday night, he had preached uh, during Sunday morning. They had a Sunday evening special service. He came in, and his wife said, I'm going to bed. He says, oh, the dog, I almost forgot Max. And Mark says, I can do this. So he went to the back door. He opened the back door, and there was Max, tail wagging, claws sharp and and scratching and ready to get in. And he said, Max, bed. And Max looked at the bed and went flying by the bed, never even slowing down. Mark said just about then he realized that it had been stuffy that night in their house, and he had opened the front door to give them some air. And Max saw from the back door, the front door open, and he, like a flash, went out that front door, and he said, the last thing I saw of Max was his tail wagging happily, and he looked around, and the crazy look was in his eye, and I said, I'll never see Max again. For two hours, Mark Buchanan, pastor, extraordinaire, writer, author of books, this man who's who's renowned for going and being in big places and preaching was paying the neighborhood kids to search everywhere for Max all over the neighborhood. They could not find one paw print. They could not find one hide nor hair of Max. So what Mark did is he said, listen, this dog is well-trained. He opened the neighbor's fence, and he, and he said, and he put some food out on the neighbor's back stoop, and he thought, Max will come back when he's hungry, and he will be there. Mark went to bed. He could not sleep all night. He kept listening for Max. He never heard him. And the next morning he got up, he went out their back door, and there was nobody there, and he went next door to the neighbors, and he looked in their backyard. The food was untouched. The yard was empty. 
He said, I could just already in my mind envision them saying, well, honey, to their little, two little kids who love Max, Pastor Mark, he was irresponsible. <laughs> he sinned, and he opened the front door, and we all know that Max can't see an open door without running through it. So every time you miss Max, just look at Pastor Mark and think, Pastor Mark, cost you your beloved dog. And as he's walking back to the house, he said, I was coming up to the back door, and I almost tripped over this big, huge lump that with this wagging tail, and it was Max at his back door. He said, I was so happy, I was so overjoyed that I could have kissed him on the lips. And Mark Buchanan said, I did something I rarely do. He said, I stood in my backyard, and I danced a little jig. He said, I know for a Baptist pastor that sounds like sacrilege, but I was so overjoyed. And then it hit Mark. He said, I worshiped the King of Kings yesterday. I stood in the presence of God Almighty, and, and I had all of the resources of, at, at my disposal, and the one who bought me back from the price, the one who found me when I was wandering, when I was lost in the neighborhood, I came back only because he came and found me, not because I knew where to come. He came and sought me out and brought me there, and I never danced a jig for God. Joy is a command, Philippians Four, four says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. God says when you understand what grace is all about, it will cause you to rejoice. Hebrews 12, 2 says that Jesus, who for the joy set before him, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising its shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Who for the joy set before him, took those nails in his hands, who with the joy set before him, took the beating where blood was running down his back and his face and huge hunks of his body were ripped away. Who for the joy set before him had those crowns, that crown of thorns and those people, those thugs beating him and asking if they knew, uh, if he knew when he was blindfold who was beating him. Who for the joy set before him went to the cross, dropping beneath the weight of the cross. Who for the joy set before him Celebrate is used in the Bible 60 times. Only two times is, does it have any negative connotation. And both times it's a negative connotation. It's because they celebrated something other than God. God calls us to celebrate. When grace dances, W.H. Auden has written, I know nothing except what everyone knows. If they're when grace dances, I should dance. If they're when grace dances, I should dance. And the religious leaders of Jesus' time did not get that. Remember the story, Palm Sunday, and Jesus is walking down the hill from the Mount of Olives, just been there, just saw that, just walked that route. And as we were walking down, I could just hear the religious leaders saying to Jesus, the, the crowd is shouting and waving palms like the kids did last week, and they're throwing them in front of them. They're taking their coats off and throwing them in front of this little donkey that Jesus is on. And the religious leaders come to Jesus and, and says, tell them to stop that. Tell them to stop dancing. Tell them to stop singing. Tell them to stop celebrating. And what does Jesus say? Luke 19, 40 says, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. There's a time when grace comes in that we need to dance. When we grasp what happened on the cross, it will bring a joy that never fades. 
Isaiah 54 and 55 are all about that. Here's the first thing, two questions we need to ask. How can I grasp the magnitude of grace? How can I grasp the magnitude? Are we like Mark Buchanan? Have we danced at the wrong things? Isaiah 54, how can I grasp the magnitude of grace? The first three verses say, Sing, O barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Put on an extra room. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. The first illustration of this, the first thing that tells us how to, to grasp that, is that grace is like an unexpected gift of life. Grace is like an unexpected gift of life. You see, this harkens back to Abraham, Abraham and Sarah. You remember the story of Abraham and Sarah? Abraham 74, the Lord comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to make a mighty nation out of you. And, he, and Abraham thinks in his, in his mind, it must be quick because Sarah is 65. She's just 9, 10 years younger than me. She's already past the time, but if you're going to give us a child, it should be quick. And the Lord says, I'm going to make a mighty nation out of you. Abraham, come and look at the stars in the sky. Look at the sand on the sea. How much sand? How many stars? Lord, I can't count them. That's what your descendants are going to be like. And Abraham thinks in his mind, okay, well, do it quick, Lord. And does the Lord do it quick? No, 24 years pass. Sarah could not conceive. She could not conceive. I looked up the word conceive in the Webster's Dictionary. There's two meanings for conceive. Did you know that? One is to become pregnant. You conceive a child. What's the other meaning? to form an idea, to imagine. Sarah couldn't conceive both ways. At 89, she could not form a child in her body. She could not get pregnant. But at 89, she could not conceive of being able to even have a child. You know the old jokes? Abraham says to Sarah, Sarah, where are you going? She says, I'm going to the, to the grocery store. And he says, what are you going to get? She says, I'm going to get some Pampers and some Depends. When you're 90 and you have a child, you might have to have dual diapers going on there. You might need some help. She could not fathom that it happened. She laughed and Abraham laughed. God would graciously make lavish promises of forgiveness, love, a future with him when we deserve the opposite is just as inconceivable to us as having a child was to Sarah. Abraham decided he would have a child with Hagar to help God out. Sarah comes to him and says, I have this beautiful handmaid. Why don't you just lie with her? And he says, well, if I have to, I guess I'll do that. And he has this child. It was never God's idea. Galatians 4.23 says, his son by the slave woman, that's Abraham, his son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way. I mean, Abraham was still able to father the child. It was Sarah who could not get pregnant. His son born, born by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of a promise, God's promise, so that when Sarah was 90, she conceived a child. Isaac was born. And Isaiah is saying, Grace is just like that. When you think it's impossible, when you think there's no way that it could happen, that's when grace steps in. That's when God's promise steps in. 
There are two ways to try to live for the Lord. You can draw on the energy of our own good intentions or we can rely on God's power to overcome our weaknesses. Listen, folks, our failure is real. Our situation is impossible. Without grace, we will never come into the presence of God. But it's not the death of joy because of grace. Here's the second one. Grace is, permea- grace is permeated with God's unfailing love. Look back at chapter 54, verses 4 through 10. Do not be afraid. You will not s- suffer shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. Widowhood. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He's called the God of all the earth. What's going on here? Verse 6 is the key. Look at what it says. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit. A wife who married young only to be rejected, says your God. The first illustration is this woman who cannot conceive, the second one is a woman who has been scorned, who's been divorced, who's been dismissed, who's been rejected, who's been left. Look at verse 7. For a, for a brief moment I abandon you, but with deep compassion I will bring you back. In a surge of anger I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. To me, this is like the days of Noah, when I swore that the waters of Noah would never again cover the earth. So now I have sworn not to be angry with you, never to rebuke you again. Look at verse 10. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. This unloved woman, this rejected, abandoned woman, is Israel. Israel's been unfaithful to the Lord. What was the first commandment? You remember the Ten Commandments? There were ten put on stone. There were 613 commandments total, but ten put on stone. What was the first commandment? You remember what it was? You'll have no other God before me. The second commandment, don't make any idols and don't bow down and worship them. In other words, don't love anyone or anything more than me. And Israel loved everything and everyone more than God. Over and over and over again. So what did God do? He put them through the ringer. He chastised them. He, he, he kept bringing them to the point where God was their only resource. He displayed a grace that's based and permeated, based on and permeated with love. Ever have anything permeate uh, your household, uh, your goods? Uh, Kathy and I, we have a, a guilty pleasure, okay? And, and if you see me in Winco, I don't want to hear about it. If I go to Winco, sometimes I go to buy groceries. More often I go to buy pizza, at Leonardo's Pizza or whatever at the door. That's the cheapest pizza in town, and it's really quite good. I can only eat about six pieces of it. I get really, you know, I get tired of it. But I have a problem because they'll say, would you like it to go? And I say yes because I want to take it home, and sometimes they'll heat it up a little bit, and I take it home, and they'll put it in a box for me, and I'll put it in my car, and I take it home. And the next morning I come out, and I want to go eat Italian food again. Because the smell has permeated my car. It's in the fabric of the the upholstery. And so I have to leave the windows down a little bit. Either that or I just have to keep going back and getting pizza every night. And the Lord says, my love for you is permeating every pore of who you are. It's embedded in the upholstery of who you are. 
in the Indeed magazine, the little devotional that we have, and a new one's come out because it's May and you need to grab your copy of it. But in the Indeed magazine, it talks in the, in the Minor Prophets about how many times God used unbelievable circumstances and situations to push Israel back to God. He pledged his unfailing love for them. Jeremiah 31.3 says this, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I've drawn you with loving kindness. The grace is the fact that they failed him and he wooed them back as a lover. God's choice to die for us is not based on our merit, our beauty, our talent, our skill, our intellect, our worthiness. It's based on his grace. It's based on his love. It's based on his forgiveness for what we do. Grace is permeated with God's unfailing love. Here's the third one. Grace results in unprecedented renewal. Grace results in unprecedented renewal. The third illustration is of a city destroyed. Look back, verse 11. Oh, afflicted city, lashed by storms and not comforted, I will build you with stones, stones of turquoise, your foundations with sapphires. I will make your battlements of rubies, your gates of sparkling jewels, and all your walls of precious stones. All your sons will be taught by the Lord, and great will be your children's peace. In righteousness you will be established. Tyranny will be far from you. You will have nothing to fear. Terror will be far removed. It will not come near you. If anyone does attack you, it will not be my doing. Whoever attacks you will surrender to you. Wouldn't you love that? They come to the border and they say, we were going to attack, and we're just going to surrender instead. Verse 16, see, it is I who created the blacksmith, who fans the coals into flame and forges a weapon fit for its work. It is I who have created the destroyer to work havoc. No weapon forged against you will prevail, and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And this is there, and look at that word, it says vindication. It's sometimes translated righteousness, sometimes it's translated salvation, and sometimes it's translated grace. And this is their grace from me, declares the Lord. Sometimes we have a difficulty depicting this, but this week we've not had any any difficulty depicting a city that's been ravaged, that's been destroyed. Whole cities in America, in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, Ringgold, Georgia. My brother lives in Ringgold, and we got an email that he was fine, and I know that others have loved ones. We've had missionaries that have lived in Ringgold, and they're fine. I mean, we saw New Orleans in the Hurricane Katrina. We saw, I lived in Northridge during the Northridge, or lived in the Los Angeles area during the Northridge earthquake, and, and I went to Northridge, and I saw uh, John MacArthur's church there. One whole section of their church, uh, roughly equivalent of this sanctuary, was raised a foot during that earthquake. They had 40,000 volumes in their library in that building, and not a single one of them remained on the shelf. Everyone was sh- shaken completely off the shelf. Unbelievable devastation. We took water there to some of the residents. It's hard to imagine unless we experience the devastation firsthand. We see the pictures and we think, oh, the poor people. But if you've ever been there, if you've ever walked through a house that's been gutted by fire, if you've ever been on one of those scenes, you understand the devastation. And what's it like to see it rebuilt? And that's what the Lord says, I will build you. I will rebuild you. In Titus 3, 5, he says, there's a washing of rebirth that takes place, the renewal by the Holy Spirit. God sees us as a destroyed city, and he says, I'm going to renew you. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8, look at what it says. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. 
God says, do you understand the magnitude? It's like you couldn't give birth and I gave you a child. It's like you were a rejected, abandoned woman and I came as your lover to love you. It's like you were mowed down by a tornado or a hurricane. It's like you were uprooted and destroyed, no place for shelter, and I came and I rebuilt the city. God says, do you understand the magnitude of what I've done for you? We just celebrated the Lord's Supper. Do we understand what Jesus did on the cross with the burial and the resurrection? And the second question is, how do I seize God's manifestation? If we can, it's one thing to grasp it, but how do we seize God's manifestation of grace? It's in Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 13. And I want you to just think about this. There are two things that I see in this. Isaiah 55 says this, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost, Why spend bread on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Do you understand that? That literally says your soul will delight in Kansas City strips and ribeyes. The best steaks. Some people call them New York strips. They just don't understand. If you're from Kansas City, you know they're Kansas City strips. And ribeyes, the richest affair. Come Uh, Give ear and come to me, verse 3, hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. Look at verse 6, seek the Lord while he may be found, call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts and your thoughts. We could go ahead and read the rest of the chapter, but I want to look at two things from this chapter. Number one, experience who he is. If you want to seize the manifestation, once you get the magnitude, if you want to seize that, you have to experience who he is. It requires intentionality. It has to be something intentional. You can't just fall into it. The initial decision is made that has lasting consequences. It's now May 1st. Let's talk about New Year's uh, resolutions. Some of you are looking at your spouse and going, okay, well, I was supposed to lose weight. I'm going to start May 1st now. It's a you know, New Year's resolution, January 1st on May 1st. How did we do the first four months? Initial decision that didn't necessarily have lasting consequences. I unconsciously buttoned my jacket when I said that, okay? Initial decision with lasting consequences. In verse 7 it says, forsake your ways. It's a change of mind. It's a change of direction. It's a change of passion. Come, drink, taste, experience. These words are all through this chapter. In John chapter 7, Jesus is standing there in the and, he, and he's in the midst of the temple area, and he's standing, he says, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. It's not enough to believe, it's to believe in him. It's to experience him. Come, taste, see that the Lord is good. Have you ever had that first taste? I'll never forget when I was 10 years old, I, I went to Mrs., uh, Mrs. Hurley's house. 
Mrs. Hurley was a woman in my dad's church, and, and she, she was married to an American Indian, so she made great American Indian food, but she was from Mexico, and she made awesome Mexican food. She didn't ever go to the store and buy any of the, the, the uh, tortillas or anything like that. She didn't go buy sauce. She made sauce. She made her own tortillas. And when I was 10 years old, I was over at Mrs. Hurley's house with, with her husband and her, and her kids. The, her son was about my age, and she introduced me to a food called chili relleno. Anybody here ever had a chili relleno? She took the poblano peppers and she put them over the fire and she roasted the outside and she put them in plastic bag until the, that little black stuff would come off and then she would take them and slice them and she would stuff them with peppers and uh, little jalapenos and, and cheese and all this other stuff, sometimes chicken, sometimes other things and it was just magical. She would fill these things and she would bread them and she would drop them in, in the, I'm sure it was lard, it was, it was great. I mean, I can feel my, heart, uh, my arteries hardening as I speak, but I, she would fry these things, and she would bring them out, and she would dry them on paper towels, and then she had some special sauce. It had a tomato base and, and all this other stuff, and she would, but it had cheese, and ooh, man, that was good. And I'd never had one before, and she said, George, just taste it. And I took just the tiniest little bit of the end, and I said, oh, that's good. And I ate it, and I said, Mrs. Gross, it was Hurley Gross, Mrs. Gross, Miss Hurley, can, can we have one more? And, I said, and she said, George, you can, you can have a second one. And I ate the second one. I said, Mrs. Gross, can I have a third one? And she said, George, you can have one more, but that's it. She became my best friend. I would just show up and mow her grass sometimes because I could smell Mexican food way over where I lived, and I knew that she was cooking it, and sure enough, when I would mow her grass, she'd say, George, do you have time to come in for a chili and Oh, yes. <laughs> You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart, Jeremiah says. Wayne Cordero is a pastor in Hawaii. Wayne Cordero, had, for many years, has had the church in a high school uh, building. And in the high school building where they were, one week they got the notice that there was a, a conflict and they couldn't meet in the high school, and they sent notice out to the thousands of people in their church. They, they got notice to them, we're going to be in the park. It was the only place they could find. And they were going to have a service Saturday night and two on Sunday morning for the crowd. They couldn't get a tent there in time. And so they went out to the park, and Wayne Cordero says, this is what I prayed all week long. Lord, don't let it rain. Don't let it rain. It's rainy season. Don't let it rain. Lord, don't let it rain. Please don't let it rain. On Saturday night, it just spattered a little rain. He says, Lord, that was okay, but tomorrow I want it absolutely crystal clear. And he woke up the next morning, and it was pouring. And Wayne says, out of faith, I didn't grab my umbrella because I knew it would stop raining by the time I got to church. And all the way there, I, I didn't use my windshield wipers except when I absolutely had to because in faith, I knew the rain was going to stop any second. So I would wait until I absolutely couldn't see and just wipe it one time and say, okay, Lord, that's the last rain. And I got to the service and it was raining and raining and raining when Wayne Cordero said, I looked up at the sky and said, Lord, we're trying to do your business. Is it too much to ask you just to stop the rain? He said, I didn't hear a voice out loud. He said, the Lord spoke in my heart. And he said, Wayne... You're more concerned about the absence of rain than you are about the presence of God. And he got up in the pulpit and he wept. And he said, oh, let me tell you a story about what happened to me this week. I was so worried about rain, I forgot about God. And God says, if you want to seize the manifestation of grace, come to me and taste me. 
Find who I am. Love me. Here's the second part. Celebrate what he's done. We do not need our American way of life tweaked. We are dying. We need a life-giving transfusion of blood. We don't need things just twisted and altered a little bit. What Amanda and what Kathy and Gary were singing, oh, the blood of Jesus, that's my victory. We need that life-giving transfusion of blood. God saw where we were, and God gave us a complete overhaul. We were living in a pigsty, and we went home to the Father, and he gave us a BMW, and he gave us this big, huge party. When the prodigal son came home, when the prodigal son came home, the father threw a party. And I just want to point out it was complete with ribs. They killed the fatted calf. That means somebody had ribs that day. God knows how to party. And the older brother comes and he says, stop the partying. I'm the one who stayed home. I'm the faithful one. There should be no smiles. My brother's been out and he's been living like a pig and he came home. What do you mean having a party? And what does the father say? Son, everything that I've had has always been yours. Don't you understand? My son who was dead is now alive. We have to party. have to celebrate. Ray Ortland, a pastor, says, Our exaggerated sense of decorum is the last bastion of pride that holds us out against the gospel to our neighbors. Some churches make pride their virtue. God certainly does not. And Isaiah 55, 7 says, God has freely pardoned literally. It says God has literally multiplied abundantly. One time our granddaughter Ashley came to me. We were, we were staying with her, and she was, or she was staying with us, and, and at this time, Ashley was two or three years old, and she had two things in her diet. She only had two food groups, chicken, nuggets, and french fries. Well, actually, three if you count cat, ketchup. You know, she would have, you know, 12 packets of ketchup with her chicken nuggets and, and french fries. That was the vegetable in her diet. And I'm Grandpa, I'm Papa, and I hadn't seen her in a while, and she said, Papa, my fries are all gone. Can I have your fries? And I said, yes, dear. And so I gave her Kathy's. (laughs) And mine. And her dad's. And her mother's. Because this one that I love so much wanted something. And I said, I'll go get you more more fries if you want them, guys. And they said... Papa, you're going to spoil her. And I said, absolutely, I'm going to spoil her because I love her. And I gave her something I know probably was not that good for her. And afterwards, the payoff is she came running to me, and she threw her arms around my neck, and she said, Papa, I love you so much. I love you so much. And I said, how much do you love me? She said, I love you this much. And she stretched her arms out as big as she could. Exactly what the psalmist says in Psalm 150, verses 1, 4, and 5. Praise the Lord. Praise him with tambourine and dancing. Praise him with the strings and flute. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Praise him with hugs this big. When grace dances, I should dance. 
Some of you have been listening to me today, and all you can hear is, is pastor saying that we should dance in the aisles. What pastor is saying is when your heart is moved by the heart of God, when you find the passion and the joy and the celebration, don't let that pass you by. The story of the prodigal son has always been one of my favorite stories, and we're going to close with this. It's always been one of my favorite stories because it depicts both sides of the equation. The one who ran away from God, he was part of the family, but he ran from God, and he comes back to God. And it's the story of those who, all they know better, come back one day to the God who loves them so much. But it's also the story of the older son who looks disapprovingly at the younger son and at the father because of the celebration that's going on. But I want to point out one thing to you. There's only one time in all of Scripture, there's only one time in all of the Bible where it says that God ran. In all of the Bible, it says that God is waiting, God is there, God will come to you, but there's only one place where it says that the father ran, and that's when he sees the young son coming down the road, and he realizes where he's been, and he knows that he's been living in a pigsty, and it says the father ran to him. And the son begins to stumble and to fumble, and he says, Father, I've sinned, I, I, I've, I've left you, and, and I'm not worthy to be your slave, to be your servant. And he doesn't get any further, and the father says, slay that calf, get the ring, get the robe, put the sandals on him. My son who was dead is alive. That one who has been gone has, been, has come back. Phelps, Craig, and Dean wrote a song called When God Rang, uh, Ran. We're going to close the service with this. Take a look. Well, uh, this song actually was recorded many years ago by a young man named Benny Hester. And I uh, begged these guys to do this song for two or three albums. And like knuckleheads, they wouldn't listen to me. Uh, but... This song has a tremendous, powerful message. And I've known people that, that thought somehow they had walked beyond God's grace. It's a wonderful thing to know that He reaches us no matter where we go, and His love reaches for us. His hand is extended. And I want you to listen to the words of this song tonight. If you maybe walked into this building and feel a long ways from your Heavenly Father.
understand something. To the person who's next to you, and I that whole story is in the middle of three stories that Jesus tells. The lost lamb, the lost coin, and the lost son. And the end of the first two stories, it says, when they were found, there was a celebration in heaven. 
If you'll run to God, he will run to you.